Hey, welcome back to another episode of Adventures in Angular. This week on our panel, we have Lucas Paganini. Hello, everyone. I'm Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And this week, we're going to talk about content creation and how it works and how it may or may not make you rich or whatever. Um, Lucas, do you want to start out just talking a little bit about, I, I know you have a YouTube channel, talking about what, what you've done and, uh, you know, kind of how that works for you. Then I can talk about what we're doing here. Sure. Okay. Um, let me start with the biggest question is, how easily can that make you rich? Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, uh, I don't even know if I can answer that because I haven't gotten any money from content creation whatsoever until today. Oh, I like, have. Oh, that, okay. So maybe you got rich. Okay. You don't uh, have to. Rich, I wouldn't use that <laughs> word, but... <laughs> yeah, so so let me talk about that for a minute. I mean, if we're just going to go right for it. Um, so from about 20, what, 2013, 2014, um, up until about 2019, um, I made my entire living off of podcast sponsorships, right? Uh, before that, I was contracting. So I was working uh, various contracts for various people who hired me to write code for them. And, uh, you know, the, I mean, that was definitely profitable. Um, just to give a little bit more history, I guess, because, you know, people like stories and I like telling them. So, so we started Ruby Rogues in 2011. Before that, um, I had doing, been doing a show called Rails Coach that I then transitioned to be Teach Me to Code. And Teach Me to Code was because I took over a video series from a friend of mine who had started a series called Teach Me to Code, a video series. And so I thought I'd just brand them the same, right? So one was the podcast, one was the screencasts. And um, anyway, I got some sponsorship on that. You know, people paid for ads on the website, stuff like that. Um, but it wasn't until Ruby Rogues that the sponsorship thing really started to go. And it was because Ruby Rogues was kind of unique in the space where uh, there weren't other shows that had a panel of people talking about Ruby in the way that we were. And we we got some of the, you know, fairly well-known people in the Ruby community to join it initially. And so um, New Relic actually sponsored us for quite a while. And then from there, I was able to pick up other sponsorships. And uh, after a while, what happened was, because um, you'll notice Ruby Rogue started in 2011, I wasn't making my full living on it until like 2013, 2014. The, the difference was, was that eventually I had started other shows. So I started JavaScript Jabber and Freelancer Show and then iFreaks and then Adventures in Angular, and then we started React Roundup and Elixir Mix and uh, Views on View, and then we, you know, we started a handful more, and so you know, you kind of see where that goes. Uh, some of those are still running, some of them aren't. But um, anyway, effectively, the way that it kind of went was that, yeah, I was finding sponsors, and we were um, lining them up on the shows, and we had enough listenership that people were willing to pay, you know, what we were asking for it, and so. Um, I think in 2019, this was right before the pandemic, um, we grossed about $350,000. Of course, I was paying my team and things like that, right? So it wasn't like pure profit, but it was enough to pay my bills, uh, pay for hosting and everything else and pay my team to, pr to produce the shows and do outreach and stuff like that. So, um, you know, making money directly from content. Yeah. And then their stuff went down, COVID hit and, you know, um, people weren't willing to spend money on marketing. And so, you know, it, it kind of slowed down. And so I, uh, we started, we, before the show, we were talking about this and, you know, how I'm starting to ramp back up into sponsorship, but the whole sponsorship scene has completely changed. And so um, talking to people now about doing the same thing we were talking about doing in 2019, they'll run ads like they did, but some of them aren't willing to pay as much or some of them want something unique or, Right. And so before where it was kind of a new hot market today, it's it's a little bit different in, in the way that that works. Um, the other way that I've seen people make money on content is by selling some kind of premium. Right. And so they have a freemium model where you get, um, you know, one or two videos per month for free. And then if you want the rest of the content, you pay. And so if you go look at um, now, I'm most familiar with this in the in the Ruby or Rails arena uh drifting ruby is done by one of our uh, ruby rogues co-hosts he puts out a video every week 
the first one of the month is free and the rest of them, you have to have a pro account to get them. Um, there's another one, Go Rails. I think they operate kind of the same way. Um, when I was new, uh, it was Railscasts and he did them for free, did one a week for free forever, for like years. And then he's, he started talking to people and realized, hey, if I do a second one every week, you know, and make it a pro op offering, right, then people will pay for it. So that that's kind of how that came out as far as that goes. So that's another way of doing it. And then I know people that, um, you know, they effectively use the the content to promote their own stuff. So that's like Wes Boss and uh, Scott Talinsky on Syntax.fm. Their show, they have sponsorships on their show and they do make money that way. But the primary thing that they're doing is they're raising the profile of the courses they sell and then they're selling that kind of premium content. So those are the ways that I see people doing it. And I, I recognize that like um, Wes and Scott, they... I don't know if rich is the right word, but they make plenty of money selling their courses because they have such a good reputation. People like them. People know the courses are high quality. And so that that's the way that that works out. So so if you're talking about getting rich, I think it kind of depends on your definition of rich. Um, but, you know, can you make a living at it? Yeah, there are people out there making a living at it. Yep, definitely. Um, I'm going to pick a lot of things that you said, because I think they're very relevant to emphasize. So mm -hmm. first thing, you don't need a course to monetize. So right. one very already validated way of monetizing your content is to dedicate part of your content to a premium subscription. So you can have, mm -hmm. you can even do like 50-50. So uh Right. One week you do free content, the other you do paid content. One week you do free mm -hmm. content, the other you do paid content. And that way you can have paid subscriptions. So instead mm -hmm. of people paying a single lifetime access to something, they are paying a monthly value to have access right. to all the content that you produced before and also all the content that you will be producing from now on. So right. that's a great way to start because it takes away a huge uh, weight, which is building your own course, especially if you already did great courses, then you might think, I need to do something that great. Otherwise, what's the point? Like there are a lot of um, regular quality courses out there. So if I'm going to do something, right. it needs to be like better than all the alternatives. And that can put you in a path which will either take you one year to do that, or it would never be launched because right. other things would just come up and then you would never do it. So uh, first thing to forget is um, not forget necessarily because you can still do a course and still like have that as your primary uh, means of monetizing your content. But um, so not forget about doing a course, but keeping in mind that there are other alternatives too. And these other alternatives, they can have a lower bar to entry. So that's thing one that I wanted to highlight. Another thing that I want to highlight is you were talking about Wes and Scott on Syntax FM and how they are mm -hmm. always producing content so that they can promote their premium paid content. I think this is really important to emphasize because right. there's this idea that if you create a digital asset and digital asset, you can abstract that to a, something that you can offer through digital means that won't uh, that you won't need to have employees to deliver that product to the audience. Or maybe if you do, like it's like a very short amount of people to deal with all the customers, and then you can just do that forever and you can sell that globally. Like this is the definition of a digital asset. Right. And mm -hmm. if we're talking about content creation and education online, then we're talking about digital assets that are either a subscription to paid content or um, um, a fixed value so that you can access a paid course. So these are right. the most traditional ones, uh, the most traditional digital assets when it comes to education. 
No. Mm -hmm. And there are a million ways to do all of those, right? I mean, I've seen courses that you pay, you get access to everything, right? It's just like, just go through it at whatever pace. Um, I've seen other courses where you get in and they send you a new lesson every week, right? And so they they may have recorded 30 of them, but you get mm -hmm. one every week. Um, I've seen them where there's kind of a live component to it. I've seen it where they do it in cohorts, right? So all the people who signed up on March 1st, which is the day we're recording this, right? Um, it starts on March 1st and it goes till March 30th, right? And so you get the whole, you know, everybody goes through at the same time and they all get the live help at the same time. So there are a million ways to do this, right? There's no right way to do it except for the, the way that's going to get people the results that they want. And so they'll come back and buy other stuff from you. Exactly. But what I think it's really important to, to consider is that even when you produce that thing, it won't necessarily make you money. And even if it does when, when it gets launched, it won't necessarily always make you recurrent money. That's really important to consider too, because if you look at Waz and Scott, then you will quickly notice that they are always creating free content on a regular mm -hmm. basis to promote their paid content. So that idea that right. you're just going to create a digital asset and then you're never going to worry about anything else and you're just going to leave on the pitch, then you could when paid ads were cheap. Now that they are not and you need to get audience through organic reach, so you need to create content so that people can consume it and you can promote your paid content from these from the free content now you can't just not do anything anymore there were there was a formula yes to that no. before yeah okay go ahead I, i want you to debunk my idea no no i mean you're <laughs> you're generally correct right um you know people are way more likely to buy stuff from you if If you're putting out free content, you're giving them some some reason to keep coming back. They feel like they have a relationship with you because you're constantly doing things that, that pay off for them, stuff like that. Um, and the other thing is, is if you really pay attention to Scott and Wes, they're also generally working on the next course, right? And so they're trying to come up with another thing that their, you know, dedicated audiences will buy. But um, I wouldn't just discount paid uh, advertising either. The difference is, is that um, you don't have as much of that personal touch. And so your message has to be really, uh, really well put together, right? It really has to, you know, wh whatever the headline is, it's got to resonate with people and make them want to stop and click. And then whatever they get once they stop and click has to be uh, compelling enough, right? This is the problem you have. Oh, wow, you're really speaking to me and, and the problems that I have, right? It has to be compelling enough for me to want to click that buy button, right? And so you can set them up, you can run them, and they will work. But it takes a lot of time to figure out what that right message is. I mean, sometimes people just, you know, they, they intuitively know it or maybe luck into it, right? And so they put up their first campaign and it actually works. But for the most part, what I found is that in order to make those work on the paid content side, it, it takes a lot of that personal touch where people are listening to your podcast or watching your YouTube videos or what have you on a regular basis and going, okay, you know, I trust, I trust Chuck now, or I trust Lucas now. And so, you know, he offers the thing that I think I need. And so, you know, it's not just a, I'm going to buy this course and hope it doesn't suck. It's I'm going to buy this course because I know that Chuck understands what I need. And so th that's, that's the difference between the two approaches. The other, you know, If it's, if it's warm traffic, you know, where people know who you are and then you, you know, show them what you've got. A lot of times that works on the cold traffic. It's just a different story. Right. And that's generally where you're coming at. Um, you're coming at people, you know, with paid ads and stuff. And so then it's, um, Hey, you know, do these things in order to, um, to get what you need. But the other thing that I see is that a lot of people, they'll do the paid ads to get people into their free content. And then, You know, so so it's a discovery mechanism mm -hmm. and then the free content is what sells people on it, right? And so, you know, it gives them a chance to follow up by email and get them to subscribe to the podcast and watch their best YouTube stuff, right? And so then after 
you know, having six, seven, eight, nine, ten touches after they've clicked that link. That's when you come in and you say, hey, by the way, if you've watched all this stuff and this is what you needed, we've got a paid version of it that's even better. Okay. Um, I agree with all the arguments that you presented. My issue is that nowadays, if you try to run a marketing campaign uh, using paid ads, um, for example, using Google ads or Facebook ads or Instagram mm-hmm. ads, the profit margin that the ads are going to take are so big nowadays. And the comparison that the potential customers that are going to go to your landing page, the level of comparison that they're going to make from your course, from your product to other similar courses is so big that you convert less people because uh, one thing is somebody went to buy your course because they already follow your free content mm-hmm. and they are they really like your free content, so they are ready to buy your course. Like maybe they are going to uh, think about the price a bit, but the chances of them buying are really high. On the other side, you were like on the internet, just scrolling on Instagram, and then you were impacted by a course that sounds interesting, but you don't know nothing about the person. And quite frankly, you weren't thinking about buying a course for that topic right now. And if you decide to buy a course for that topic, maybe you will also search on Google for other courses on that topic before deciding to buy this one or the other. So at the end of the day, your conversion rate, if you're running paid ads, is much lower than your conversion rate for organic traffic. And Mm -hmm. plus, in the organic traffic, you, in theory, you didn't paid for that traffic. In practice, you did with your time because you had to dedicate time and energy to produce free content and also to put it out there. So you also needed to have audience for the free content, which is also not easy. So even if you do free content, don't think that people are just going to watch your videos. Like it's, it's really hard to get traffic, even free traffic. So at the end of the day, let's say you're selling a course for uh, 50 bucks. And then you run mm-hmm. um, a marketing campaign with paid ads to it. I'm not saying that you won't make sales from it, but your profit margin can be so small from the paid traffic that maybe it doesn't pay off. So you would have to like increase the value of the course and then maybe your conversion would drop even more and then it would, again, not pay off. So maybe you can't, if your course is like really top notch, if your product, not just your course, but if your digital asset is really top notch, then um, you can still do it, of course. And even if it isn't, like you can still do it. Like I'm not saying that it won't work at all. I'm sure that if you are really creative in the ads and in the storytelling of your course and in the quality of it, then sure, you can still make it work. Mm -hmm. But the idea that we had on the past was that you could just create a digital asset, create automated paid marketing campaigns to attract traffic, and then you're done because you have a product, you have automated a way for people to find and buy your product so you don't have to do anything anymore. And unfortunately, I didn't got that wave. So Mm -hmm. if I had started maybe 10 years earlier, maybe I would be rich right now, but... (laughs) <laughs> Nowadays, it's like really hard to get that to get that working. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, my experience with this has been that um, if just just going to the paid ads again. So the way that I see it, because I agree with you, right? Uh, the way that I see it, I've seen the paid ads approach work, but it's typically a high ticket thing. If you're if you're in it to actually make money out of the offer, right? It's a high ticket thing. You know, people are spending a thousand dollars. And so you can go and you can spend a hundred dollars in ads per lead, right? And so your conversion rate can be small. You still have to have a high quality campaign to get people through. You know, there might be some selling over the phone or, um, you know, through a webinar or something like that to get people in. But yeah, you know, that that's the kind of thing where I'm seeing people actually make enough 
to, you know, make and set aside money and pay for the ads and everything else. Um, if you're doing it at the lower end, which is kind of where I think most people come in, right? They're going to do a couple hundred dollar course or maybe a hundred dollar course or, you know, an ongoing series where, like I said, people are paying nine or 19 bucks a month. Um, you know, now, now we're talking about, okay, you know, what's the break even on this, right? And so, yeah, you know, if I'm spending $19 to acquire a customer and it's $19 for my product, I'm breaking even. The difference is, though, is that I'm getting those people into my system so that I can market the next thing to them. And so that's where I see the value in that. Um, and then for everybody else, right, the people who know who I am but may not know what my products are, they're, they're warmer traffic or they've heard of me, they saw me speak at a conference, things like that. You know, they're maybe a little less warm, but they're not cold traffic, right? And so they, they have some trust, some level of they're willing to give me a chance all the way up to the people who every time I tell them I have a new thing coming out, they, they know it. They know what it's about. They know why they want it, right? Those, those are like the, the hot traffic. Um, and, and you want to sell kind of to all of them, right? So if I'm putting ads out, I'm not trying to get, get my hot traffic to click it because I have other ways of reaching those folks, right? It's, it's to get new people into the system so that, yeah, they may, I may get them to make a break-even purchase, you know, and maybe I upsell them on this or that. And so maybe I'm making, you know, on average $10, you know, per, per person or $5 or $2 for every person that comes in. But the flip side is, is that when I come out with the next thing or I come up with the follow-up to what they bought or, you know, they get it and they find real value in it. And so then, I, you know, my email follow-up gets them to come back. That's where I'm looking to convert. And so those, those, I see them as future, um, future uh, customers. Cust yeah. Future customers or future profitable customers because they become customers when they buy. Whereas, you know, the, the other people who are already in my orbit, who already know who I am, who know that I'm going to give them a quality uh, offer, those people, you know, I can, you know, uh, they're, they're going to be profitable from day one. And so then all I have to do is make sure that I live up to the thing that I promised them. Right. And so and, and that's that's generally what content's all about anyway. Right is, you know, am I getting out of it what I wanted, what I thought I was going to get out of it? So, for example, I mean, even with a free podcast, right? People are listening to be entertained. They're listening because they want to learn something. They're listening because they they want to feel like they're staying current, right? Whatever. There, there are a ton of reasons why people listen to the shows that we put together at Top End Devs, right? But at the end of the day, if we're not living up to it, they'll unsubscribe, right? That they'll go away. They'll go find something else that gives them what they want. Um, and, and it's the same thing for the paid offering, right? Did I get, I pay $300 and I get $300 or more value out of it, right? And if they feel like every time they put $300 in, they get thousands of dollars worth of value out of it, then they'll keep coming back, right? And, and that, to me, that, that's what I'm in it for anyway, right? Is because I want to see people succeed to a massive scale, right? That's why I called it top end devs because I, I want to give you the pieces and then I want to see you just take it to the absolute, you know, stratosphere, you know, uh, just, just take things off. And so, you know, if you're, if your career's taking off after I give you a $300 course, you know, that makes me happy, right? You know, it doesn't make me feel like I should have charged a thousand. It makes me happy that we got you, you know, just blasting off into wherever you want to go. But the other thing is, is if I come along and I tell you, all right, you've blasted off to this place and here's how you take it from this level up to the next level, you're going to, you're going to pay me for it too. And that way I get to feed my kids and you get to go to the next level. So that yep. that's the way that I kind of see all of this stuff. Um, you know, and, and content, it, it's not the only game in town, but, for me, at least, it's really rewarding. So, definitely, I like that you mentioned the part about genuinely caring about the problem that you solve, because mm -hmm. that's a huge difference from people that are just looking to do content creation just to make some money out of it. Like, not that it is wrong to try to make money out of content. Like, why not? But it really makes a difference and you can feel it when you're when you're consuming the content 
you can feel it when the person really cares about solving the problem and that translates to sales too. So if mm-hmm. I am consuming content from someone and I have the impression that this person isn't really trying to help the audience, this person is just trying to get more money and they're just looking for the numbers. They're not looking for the individuals behind those numbers and the problems that they have and the problems that your product solves, then I really can't buy this product or this service. I just Mm -hmm. don't feel like it will be a good purchase. So if you create content, but you can't transmit trust to the audience and transmit that you actually care about them, and which are different things, because one thing is you actually caring, and the other is the audience perceiving that. So if you can't do that, then it might not be worth it to create content because maybe you can even like, you can even um, make somebody that was ready to buy decide not to buy because of it. That happens too. So it, you really got to care about the audience. That's really important. Right. Uh, I agree. Um, it's it's kind of interesting, right? Because um, I've been in a place where, you know, yeah, I, I'm really into the content. I'm really into the people. I'm really into helping people out. I'm really, you know, it it lights me up, right? And then it's just, you know, it's not quite making enough money so that I have to go and like, you know, do other work, right? I have to get a full-time job or I have to, uh, you know, work a contract with a company that I'm just, you know, I'm not really jazzed about what they do or something like that, right? Um, and so. I don't want to just frame it as, um, you know, you you go find something that lights you up. Definitely go find something that lights you up if you can. But just keep in mind that at least for for a lot of these content uh, products and content uh, creation, y- you have to be doing something that really does uh, light your fire, that gets you excited. Because um, A, it'll come through. B, content creation is personal, Right. You know, I put a lot of myself into the podcast. I put a lot of myself into the other stuff that I do. Um, and so it's it's that way, you know, there's a certain demand to that. You know, some people, um, they pay a higher or lower cost for, for it, right? You know, some people, they seem to be able to just do it all day and it's it's not emotionally taxing. And then other people, if they pour that much of themselves into something, it wears them out, right? And so you you have to be able to fuel it with that. The other thing is, is you're going to hit hiccups right? You're going to get to a point where I don't know how to explain this to people or, you know, I'm not really interested in this part of it or this is hard or my technology is not working or whatever. And if you're not passionate about it, you're not going to stick with it. Um, I've coached a whole bunch of people on starting podcasts. And that number one is the reason why they quit is they get three, four, five episodes in and they're just like, you know, I'm, I'm not seeing a ton of traction off of this. I'm not, you know, I'm not seeing the payoff I wanted, blah, blah, blah. And what it turns out is, is that, you know, if they had stuck with it for two, three months, if they had really been so into it that it didn't matter that after five episodes, they don't have more than, you know, a handful of people listening, you know, those kinds of things. Yeah, it'll eventually get to where I think people envision content getting them, but it takes time. And it takes a lot of effort to get it off the ground. And so if you're not if you're not excited about it, you're not going to stick with it. But but on the other hand, yeah, you know, you're just not going to make as good a content because um, I think one of the things that I've really enjoyed about, um, you know, some of the other content that I've consumed is that I'm consuming content from people that are excited about it and it comes through and I really enjoy watching it because then I get excited about it. And so then I can level up on it, if that makes sense. And then there's the other side of content creation, which is you don't need to make money directly from it. You can also make money indirectly, which is what I do. So uh, right from the beginning of this podcast, I said that I haven't made any money out of content creation. Actually, I probably lost a lot of money (laughs) because I have a team of people to help me. I have a videographer. Mm -hmm. I have um, a content creator to help me with the 
the scaffolding of my ideas. I also invested in a lot of equipment, so expensive Mm -hmm. cameras, expensive microphones. Like I built an entire studio in my house. So all of that was extremely expensive. And I haven't made a single dollar from content creation until today. So what made me invest more and more and more of my time and my money onto this? It's not the direct money. It's the authority that comes from it and the connections that you can make from it, which open up a lot of opportunities in which you can then pay off the content creation. So, for example, um, I became one of the hosts in Adventures in Angular. And that was a show that I was uh, a huge fan of. I listened to the episodes. I always liked the show. So... To me, that is a form of payment. The fact that I got into a point where I have enough authority in the subject such that I can be here and I can actually do a good job. And other than that, I get to meet a lot of people through that. So I get to meet the guests that come on the show. I get to meet the the audience that... Uh, goes to my social media and interacts with my content and follows me and sends messages, etc. It's also an opportunity to showcase my business, which is a software development company, which, by the way, is specialized in Angular. So everything helps. So I can go to a potential client and I can say, the CEO of this company, Envoid, is a host on the most popular podcast about Angular. And Mm -hmm. that transmits a lot of confidence that the quality of what we deliver is good because the CEO of the company is not just a businessman, not that this is a bad thing, but he is also a developer which is specialized on that. So if he has high standards for him, imagine the standards that he has for his employees. So I'm going to trust this company. So all of that helps to get clients for my company, to meet people, to um, find speaking opportunities. Like that's something that I want to do too. I I didn't went uh, looking for it because of the pandemic. And also because as soon as the pandemic uh, was over, kind of over, but uh, as soon as we could travel and do um, events, in-person events, then I was already busy with a thousand different things from my company, so I didn't look Mm -hmm. after it. But that helps a lot. If you have content, then it's easier for you to justify um, that you can be a great speaker in that conference because they will ask, like, what can you show to us so that we know that you're going to be a great speaker? And if you don't have anything, you can be, like, at a very high position in a big company, but how can they know if you have good didactics? So that's important too. So all of these are indirect ways of getting return from content. And this is how I justify my investment in content creation. So that could also be something that the person that is listening to us right now, that might be something that makes sense to him or her. So maybe you have a product or a service and you're going to create content and this content, if not to attract clients directly, it could be used as a way to help you close the deal. So maybe you can't attract clients, but once you attract the clients in some other way, you can use your content as a way to transmit more confidence more quality, and then that can help you close the deal. Yeah. And it's it's interesting the way you're talking about it. I mean, for one, we kind of talked about selling content, selling educational stuff. Uh, and what you're talking about is effectively what a lot of these folks do, right? They build their authority, they build, you know, that trust, and then and then they use it to sell their educational content. But yeah, I mean, I've been on the other side of it, too, as a freelancer, where, um, you know, I told people, hey, you know, I'm blah, blah, blah. And I, I, 
not only am I on the biggest podcast, because most of my contracting has been Ruby on Rails, not only am I on the biggest Ruby podcast out there, but I actually run it, right? And so, um, you know, yeah, people are like, oh, well, then you must be the Ruby guy, right? And do I know people who are more talented than me? Oh, yeah, right? Do I know people who are have much more expertise than me? Oh, yeah. But does it matter? Nope, it doesn't matter. And the reason is, is because they, you know, some of them would even go and watch videos that I put out or go watch or go listen to the podcast or, you know, find some of the other stuff that I've done, right? Some of the open source that I contributed, you know, even though I didn't bring it up because they could find me and then they could find it, right? Because I'm, I'm easy to find on the internet now. And so um, all of those things, yeah, they, they play into that and they make people comfortable uh, to trust you. The other thing that I've also found is that um, doing the podcast at one point, I remember uh, I had a contract end unexpectedly, right? Um, you know, they ran out of money. I can't even remember. They ran out of money or something, but there was a reason they just, you know, abruptly said, we're not going to pay you to write code anymore. And I remember going on Ruby Rogues that next week and saying, hey, my contract ended. I need work. And literally I got phone calls that that week. And so um, that's the other thing is you you do you it's not just building the credibility with people who don't listen to the show or bidding, building credibility with people who uh, wouldn't know what the show is. But also you build that audience of people who may need the services that are offered. Right. You know, so in, in the in the case of Unvoid, right, um, you may get on and say, hey, we've got three people who are on the bench who need work. Right. And because people li who listen to the show. Um, they may work on a team that is like, we can't, we, we're having trouble hiring people right now. And we, so we're talking about backfilling with contractors and they may come to you and say, Hey, we, we can use your three people on the bench for a few months while we figure this out. Or we could use your three people on the bench to build this one feature or, you know, a uh, microservice or whatever, you know, um, you know, this front end piece that we just, we know we need, but we haven't been able to get to. And so a, a lot of it comes, you can directly sell off the podcast, but in a lot of cases, yeah, it's just enough to say, hey, here's my stuff. Um, and one story that I'll tell, um, I, was, I, I was putting out screencasts, right? So I was recording tutorials, basically. Hey, here's how you do this thing in Ruby on Rails, blah, blah, blah. Um, and uh, one, of my, uh, one of the videos, there were six videos, and it was how to build a Twitter clone in Rails. And... I hadn't even recorded the videos, right? It wasn't me on the video. It was Eric Berry. He was, he was a friend of mine. Um, but he started the video series. And like I said, he handed it off to me because he got into Groovy on Grails. And the Teach Me to Code audience didn't want Groovy content. But they still wanted Ruby content. And so um, he was like, hey, do you want to do this? Because I was already podcasting at the time. And I said, sure. So I took it over. I was doing it. Um, I just put a little banner at the top of the page that said, do you need a freelancer? You know, here's my phone number, right? It wasn't that fancy. I mean, that was it. You know, I had my picture on it. And uh, so I get this call from this guy who says, I need basically a Twitter clone built, right? And he had a couple of things he wanted different. Uh, he wanted to be able to put icons in that would count as a character, kind of like emoji before emoji were really a thing, but it was for triathletes. And so the icons were, I lifted weights or I ran or I cycled or you know treadmill or whatever right but the thing is is that it would take up one character instead of you know however many characters and he had a bunch of other features that he wanted you know outside of what your traditional twitter did but then he wanted people to just be able to get in and you know just post this is you know and so uh he called me up because his brother-in-law had helped build dentrix which is the dental practice management software um way back in the day and he he so he called him up right because he was a programmer that he knew his brother-in-law said you should build this in ruby on rails so we went and looked up twitter ruby on rails right so i had the content out there with the keywords in it mm -hmm. and then he contacted me and said hey i need a twitter clone built in rails and of course he assumed i could do it because i had a video on my website showing people how to do it and you know, i wasn't the voice on the video at that point it didn't matter because he already assumed that i knew what i was doing and so yeah we went and built the mvp for that that thing and uh, i mean i could tell story after story after story about this i had a guy call me up because he tried to learn to code so he could build 
you know, the software he wanted to build, figured out that it was way beyond anything that he could learn to code and then put together himself, called me up. I mean, because I had my phone number on the website again, right? Um, and he was listening to the podcast, right, to try and learn to code. And then he called me up because he trusted me at that point to be an expert that could do the thing. And so we built an MVP for that. Or mm-hmm. we being I built an MVP for that. But but you get the idea, right? I mean, all of these things can can pay off, right? And so were those content, like, did I get paid to make content? No. But it positioned me as an authority. And then the other thing it did is it made it, I made it really easy for people who found the content to find a way to hire me. Nice. And then when you got those contracts, then you were probably able to charge more mm-hmm. than you would have charged if you didn't have the content to put you as an authority. So it's not that you, you because maybe the audience will be like, oh, but I, I already have a contract. I already have a job. Like, I don't see that as a benefit. Well, the benefit is that you can charge more. Like what makes you be more valued as a professional than your colleague? It's your knowledge in an ideal world, but in the practical world is your perceived knowledge. And your perceived knowledge will be extracted from the experiences that you had on the past, on your resume, the way that you wrote them, the way that you communicate, the way that you present yourself. And it will also be portrayed by the amount of things that people that haven't worked with you before can find about you publicly on the internet. So Mm -hmm. that surely helps. Yeah, effectively what you're talking about is that I can go and I can verify what you know right? Because you have content out there that shows me that you know it. Um, I also, though, uh, you know, just down to reputation, right? You you build an audience, you build reputation. Um, So uh, I talked about how the marketing thing kind of tanked in 2020. Um, And so by July or August of 2020, I was pretty desperate to you know, to get paid, right? I was kind of squeaking along. I, I had some money come in from sponsorships, but not a lot. And I was trying to figure out what to do. And so I actually started applying for jobs. And uh, a friend of mine said that his company was hiring. So I went and applied there. And uh, I walked in the door and, um, you know, he kind of greeted me at the door and walked me back to the where the people were going to do the interview. You know, and I expected the all right, well, you know, what's the difference between this and this and this really deep part of Ruby that nobody would know about so that we know that you know what you're talking about? I None of that happened. Literally, the entire interview was them asking me questions about the Ruby Rogues podcast. It was, oh, well, we, we, what, what, when you started it, well, what was it like to talk to so-and-so every month or every week, um, you know? So we, I really liked this episode. I can't believe you got this guy on there, right? It, it was all that. And then at the end, they gave me a job offer. And, and the reason was, was because they had listened to me so much that they were already comfortable that I was qualified for the job and that they would like working for me be, or with me because my, you know, my personality's out there. They, they kind of already knew who I was. Uh, they kind of felt like they already knew me. And to a certain extent, that's true, right? Because I, I don't really hide my personality behind anything when I do these. And so, yeah, at the end of the day, they kind of had an idea, you know, of, of what they were getting. And so the interview was basically a formality where they could sit down and BS with me about something they liked for a half hour before they gave me a job offer. And what I found is that a lot of people who have that kind of thing out there, right, they have the YouTube videos or they have the podcast um, that, that is, you know, that has an audience. If if you're going to people who are already in your audience, even for a job interview, right? Because, yeah, like you said, it doesn't, you know, you may not have a course to sell or services to sell or be a freelancer. It still pays off in the arena of a job because of that. The other thing that I've seen is that um, in a lot of cases, people will come to me with questions as though I'm the expert, even though I know that there are people on the team that, that have a higher level of expertise in some of the areas that they're asking me about, 
or have a higher level of expertise in the domain knowledge of the app that we're working on. He'll come to me with questions because I'm already perceived as an expert. And that makes it a whole lot easier if you're perceived as the go-to guy or the expert in your job um, to, to go ask for that raise. Um, another example, just to put this one out there, I was working for a company that did lead generation. And so they would, you know, people would come in and they'd say, I want to go to school for culinary school or, you know, whatever. Right. And so they would capture that lead. They'd send it to the university and the university would reach out. Right. And they get paid for that lead. Um, and so I got a job there. I literally had a year's worth of professional experience and it was from my previous job that I'd gotten laid off from. And so I went in. Incidentally, that job interview, they asked me the questions and then my the guy that was doing the hiring, I had told him about my videos, my video series. He went and watched one of the videos and called me up while I was still on my way home. And mind you, that morning I had cleaned out my desk from being laid off. He called me up and said, when can you start? And I went to work for them the next day. But while I was there, you know, I had barely a year's worth of experience. You know, I was not the expert by any means, but I'd been doing the work to learn stuff and I'd been putting content out there to teach people through the Rails Coach podcast and the Teach Me to Code video series. Um, and uh, within a month, they made me the team lead. And it was because I was answering everybody's technical questions with barely a year's worth of experience. And the reason was, was because I was going out, I was doing the work. I was learning the stuff and I was putting the content out that demonstrated that I knew what I was doing. And so I, you know, I, I just, I can't, I can't emphasize uh, highly enough what a difference this kind of thing makes. Um, I also just want to say that not every company will value that or not every company will recognize it, but um, most of the good ones will. Most of them are going to see the value you bring and they'll recognize it and they'll, they'll take care of you for it. And if they don't, then you also recognize that then you have this um, social proof of what you already know and what you can do that you can use to go find a company that will pay you more of what you're worth and pay you better and give you more perks and give you better benefits because they want somebody with that kind of expertise around. Definitely. It's interesting that you said, I only had one year worth of experience in that place and I got this other opportunity the next day that I got laid off as kind of an expert. And one month later, I was already the leader. The thing is, you had one year of professional experience, but that experience was much more intensive. Like during that year, you had mm -hmm. a very, very intensive learning path than most people. So your one year was worth more than five years of a, a regular professional that would just learn the things that they need to, to learn on their day-to-day -day basis. So mm -hmm. that, and then you also had the proof that you were able to learn more in that one year than just what you would expect from a regular person in one year. Because mm -hmm. otherwise, if you did a thousand courses during that one year and you, you had gotten to the same point that you got, but without the social proof, then you probably would not be in another company the day after you got laid off and I'll right. either one month afterwards because you you wouldn't have the proof of it. So that's uh, that also makes a difference. So the intensity of your professional career, the intensity of uh, how fast you can learn things and how deeply involved you get into them and how much you can show for everyone else that wasn't working with you about your knowledge on it. Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. So I do need to start us wrapping up because I have a call coming up, but... Uh... Is there anything else you want to add to this? I mean, I could go on for days talking about um, content. Oh, man, I know that I haven't said as much as you, but like you've been doing this for so, so longer than, than I've been that I think it was in the right proportion. If you look at it that way, if you look at the amount of time that you spent uh, on that. And I actually think that all the most relevant things that I had to say about my experience with content creation 
were that. So to me, mm -hmm. definitely the most valuable return that I get is the indirect return. And it's also important to know that I planned that beforehand. So one thing is just you start creating content and you just see how that takes you, see where that takes you. And another thing is you already know what's your end goal, and then you can clearly evaluate if the opportunities make sense or not. So I already had a company and it then it was really easy to make that decision of, should I take one more responsibility and also have this weekly podcast episode uh, about Angular, which will which will probably demand more time than just the actual recording because mm -hmm. I'll be talking about things that are very advanced. So maybe I'll have to stop and research and be always um, super updated. Like, is it worth it? Well, if I didn't knew my end go, then it would be really hard to answer that. But if you already know what you want, in my case, it was I have a company which is specialized in Angular, so that helps a lot to market mm -hmm. that company, then yeah, for sure. Like it makes total sense. So it's a definite uh, yes. So having that helps a lot. So just knowing where you want yeah. to get. Otherwise, you're just creating content and then, yeah, I'm creating because I like it and I want to help people. That's cool. But I think it's very valuable if you have a better picture of where you want to get. So I want to build a course and I want to sell it. Okay, what's the course about? Oh, the course is about web animation. So am I going to create content about Vue? Well, maybe not. Like maybe that's not going to help you sell that course. Right. So have a clear idea of why you're doing this. See if that aligns with your end goal. And then you can make this decision because it's a lot of effort. Mm -hmm. Yep, I agree. Uh, incidentally, I started podcasting because I thought it was cool and I was helping people, um, <laughs> you know, kind, kind of the reverse of what you said. But podcasting was new. I was new to my career and it was fun. Right. And so that that's not to say that you can't do that. But I completely agree. If you can figure out where you want to head, then then just use it to supercharge your journey. And, and that makes a ton more sense. Uh, a couple other things I'm going to put out there. Um, I am not a huge fan of using blogging to do this kind of thing. And I'll tell you why. Um, effectively, blogging you, for one, it's harder to get noticed, right? Because you either have to write a blog post and then you have to do the work to put it in front of the people who are going to share it and disseminate it. So that's one thing. The other thing is, is that there really aren't great directories that show all the blog posts that help people get discovered. Whereas podcasting, there's a directory. YouTube has the YouTube search, right? And so you have better discoverability. And then the last thing is, is that the reason that you do the content is so people can get to know you and what you can do and who you are and identify with you and, and start to care about, uh, care about you. And blogging is much more impersonal than the others. Now, I understand that that also means that a lot of people are worried because they're worried that they're going to have to take the risk of effectively being rejected after they say something or get on camera. But what I find is that most people are pretty friendly if you're trying and if you're sincere. And the other thing is, is that um, everybody starts out imperfectly. Everybody starts out with poor video quality, poor audio quality. I'm still figuring out lighting on this thing, right? Um, doing the videos, you know, stuff like that. Um, the point is, is to get started and get going. And then and then you can get the help that you need to kind of level up. It's like, hey, what's, what's the next big thing that I can do that's going to make the difference? And, you know, people will help you out. But, you know, don't be afraid to just start and and put something out there and just be consistent because at that point, that's where people are really going to find you and want you to be a part of whatever they're doing. So anyway, I'm going to wrap us up there and head us into the self-promotion. So uh, Lucas, what are you working on that people should know about? I will plug the two things that I plug every week. So as I said, throughout the podcast, I do have a company which is highly specialized in two things, functional programming and Angular. So if you have a project and you need more developers for whatever reason, maybe you want to completely outsource that project or you just want to 
augment your staff. You just want to have more people, but also have your own devs uh, or you and your team and have more people. Maybe you don't want to bring people forever. Like you just need them for a while and maybe you won't need them after a couple of months. Then that's the perfect scenario for you to hire our company. So you can just go to Envoy.com and fill out the contact form. And then we can see if it makes sense for us to work together. The other thing that I'm going to plug is my web animations course. So still not done. Uh, I figured that I'm going to say that it's not yet done for a while. But yeah, like it's taking a lot of time to do this uh, properly in the quality that I want to deliver the value that I want. But if you're interested in learning all about the fundamentals of web animations, and I know that saying fundamentals sounds like it's basic, but it's not. It's the fundamentals because it will give you the base and then we'll take it to more advanced levels, but we do need to have the fundamentals really well structured. And then you'll be able to code any web animations that you want. You just you don't have to look up on the internet, how can I do this particular effect and that particular effect? How can I do like a confetti explosion? How can I do a repo effect? How can I do like a checkbox animation? That's all cool, but what if you want to do something that you, you can't find a tutorial teaching you exactly how to do it? Then how do you do it? And that's where this course, um, that's where you will benefit from doing this course is when you'll be able to create any types of animations that you want and deeply understand the fundamentals so that you can even improve the code that you get from the internet and see the things that can be better, that can be more performant, that can be more accessible. So that's what you get from uh, doing this course. So join the waiting list on lucaspaganini.com slash web animations to guarantee a huge discount when the course launches. Awesome. All right. Well, I'm going to throw in some uh, things that I am working on. Um, so as I said, yeah, I, I, and we talked about this actually before the the show, but uh, I'm working on some basically ongoing series. I mentioned, you know, Railscasts, and you know, they did a video every week that was free and a video every week that was paid, and uh, I really like that structure. Um, I also just for me, I like being able to talk to people and just you know help people through stuff. So the the series that I'm starting here soon are the Ruby and Rails. A series and I can't decide if I'm going to do one or two, right? If I'm going to do a, a Rails, if I'm going to do uh, Ruby, or if I'm going to do both. Um, anyway, I'll figure that out. And then uh, the JavaScript one is going. Sorry, Siri's talking to me. <laughs> so obnoxious, right in my ears. Anyway. Um, so, so yeah, so I'm going to be putting together those series. We're going to be talking about JavaScript in the one, and I think that's most relevant to folks. Um, we're going to go from kind of the fundamentals of how JavaScript works all the way up to, hey, here's how you, you know, build stuff with Express or whatever, um, you know, maybe pull in some like Scully or Next.js, you know, and just do some examples with that stuff, you know, and then the same thing, you know, with Ruby and Rails. So we'll we'll see where those go. I also really want to do and i i don't know exactly what the shape it's going to take probably the same shape um but do a series on like vs code right so it's here's how you do a thing in vs code have one free and one paid every week and we may get into some of the more common extensions like some of the git extensions or docker extensions or things like that but but those are the ones that i want to put together and uh you know just looking at pricing for for where people are at it'll be 19 bucks a month um, but it'll also include a call every month. We'll have a call every month where we can, you know, get in and talk about stuff. And like I said, just do a little bit of a presentation on, hey, here's how you do a thing with, you know, whatever the the thing's about. So, so those those are the um, that's what I'm putting together. And uh, yeah, I've talked a bit about like workshops and meetups and things. I'm I'm kind of setting all that aside for right now. I just want to focus on doing just the one thing and just nailing it down. And then if I feel like I can bring in some of the other stuff, then I'll do it. Um, I'm probably also going to put together just a series on how to build up your career and personal brand and stuff like that. And that'll also be $19 a month. And so if you're feeling like you're stuck, you feel like, 
you know what, I don't know what's next. Maybe you're a senior developer and you feel like I've topped out and I don't know where to go from here. Um, or you're a junior developer and you're like, you know, how do I find a better job that pays better, you know, or how do I get a raise because I like the company I'm working at? We'll put that content in there. So those are those are the four series that I'm really focused on. And, and once we get those going, then we'll kind of see where we end up. But uh, the career one is the one where I feel like it lights me up the most. But I love writing stuff in JavaScript. I love writing stuff in Ruby. Um, and, and I love just mastering the tools and being like, I can just fly through my code. So that's why I'm doing the other ones. Let's do picks. Lucas, do you have some picks? Um, my pick is going to be a microphone that I use. I have this microphone for so long. Like I was in high school when I got it. It's the Audio-Technica AT2020. And the cool thing about it is that you don't need any of the other fancy audio equipment to connect it to your computer. You can just get it in the USB version and then you can just hop on a call and use it. So it's a really professional microphone. That's the one that I'm using right now during this podcast. I also have another studio equipment connected to like a bunch of other more expensive audio gears, which I'm using as a backup microphone, but connected to my computer, that's the one. And I can't say that it's really portable. It's kind of big, uh, so you can't really put it into a small bag. But if you have like a backpack, then you can just throw it in there and take it to a coffee shop if you want to to work from there. And yeah, like this is going to be my pick. I think that for everyone that is working remotely, having a clear, crisp sound really makes a difference. And this mm -hmm. microphone gives you that for not such an expensive price. I can't say how much it is today because I bought it like 10 years ago, but I imagine that it would be cheaper. And also like, just the fact that I bought it 10 years ago and it's still this good, like that says something about the durability mm -hmm. of this thing. So yeah, Audio-Technica AT2020. Yeah, I, I used to have one of those. I really like it. It's it's a cost-effective microphone. Sounds terrific. And they can take a ton of abuse. Um, I used to travel with one. <laughs> you know, I don't know how how often it got banged around while I was traveling. But yeah, that was the one that I used when I was traveling. So uh, like that mic for sure. Um, I'm going to start out with board game pick, uh, just like normal. Um, the game I'm going to pick. So this last weekend, my wife and I, uh, every February, we go down to St. George. Uh, they have the St. George Parade of Homes, which is effectively where you go and you walk through uh, the homes that the home builders down there want to show off. Um, this time there were 30 homes on the parade of homes. And yes, yeah, so you just walk through the house, then you drive to the next one, you walk through it too. Um, and my brother-in-law and sister-in-law, you know, we always bring games and we play games after because they close down at like 7 p.m., right? So, you know, we go sit in the hot tub for a while and then we play board games. And uh, they bought brought this board game and it was, it was really fun. I really enjoyed it. So I'm going to pick it. Um, it's called The Quacks of Quedlinburg. Um, it came out in 2018. And effectively what you're doing is you're trying to build a potion. Um, and if you add too many white ingredients, the potion explodes. And if it, you explode, you don't get as many of the bonuses at the end of the round. And so you basically fill up your pot as full as you can without exploding it, right? And so... Uh, if you manage to do that, then you get all the bonuses at the end of the round. And so you just, you know, you play a bunch of rounds until um, somebody wins. There, There's a certain number of uh, of uh, rounds that you play. And, you know, you get more white ingredients about halfway through the game. And you just randomly draw them out of a bag and put them on your board. And they all do different things, give you different advantages, except for the white ones that just advance your, you know, they fill up your pot a little bit more, which is a good thing for you until you get too many of them. So anyway, um, it's, it's a relatively simple game. Um, there is some, you know, interplay like the black ones. If you have more black ingredients than your neighbors, then you get bonuses for that. Um, anyway, so uh, board game geek ranks it or weights it at 1.95. 
So it's right there, right at, hey, casual gamer, like to play it with a group of friends. I don't need to have them be heavy duty gamers. Um, this is right in there. It's a fun game. Um, and so I'm going to pick that and uh, probably going to buy it at some point because <laughs> I really liked it. Um, as far as other picks go, um, I have been moving all of our infrastructure over to Linode um, off of DigitalOcean. Um, I, I had a long talk with the, the guys over at Linode, um, probably going to turn into some kind of sponsorship just, you know, as, as a fair uh, deal. But um, their setup's been real nice. I've been really happy moving my stuff over. And so, and I'm going to put out some videos on, you know, hey, uh, this, is, this is how I moved my stuff off of DigitalOcean and onto Linode. Um, one thing that people may not be aware of is that Linode was recent, recently purchased by Akamai, which is kind of enterprise infrastructure stuff. And so, you know, I'm, I'm expecting to see some changes out of that. Um, but yeah, I've been real happy with them. And so I'm going to pick that. And then uh, the last thing that I'm going to pick is we're moving a lot of our infrastructure for the podcast as far as like invitations and um you know, scheduling and all that stuff. Uh, I found a CRM, which was a customer relation manager that has all this stuff built in. And so I'm, I'm basically going through and canceling like six services. It's going to save me a few hundred dollars a month. It's called Pipeline Pro. Um, my affiliate link in the, um, I'll put it in the chat so or in the, in the show notes. So you can go sign up if you want. Um, I love affiliate links. That's something we didn't talk about. You can sell stuff on affiliate links and get a cut of the action. Um, and it's nice too, because it typically doesn't cost your, your audience members anymore. You just, they just pay you for referring them. And so it works out nicely for everybody. Um, and so, uh, anyway, um, definitely worth checking out if you're trying to build relationships and get people to sign up for stuff and things like that. And then, um, I think that's it. I think that's all I've got. So, uh, yeah, let's go ahead and wrap it up here. Thanks for coming, Lucas. Thanks for inviting me. Well, I don't know if I can say inviting me now that I'm regular, but yeah, uh, it's always a pleasure to be here, Chuck. Yeah, it was a good chat. All right, folks. Well, if you have any <laughs> other content uh, creation-related questions, I'd love to hear them. Um, until next time, folks, Max out. <laughs>